Welcome back, everybody. Rooted in Logos podcast, episode number 96. We are getting so close to episode 100. I'm really excited to hit that milestone. It is an arbitrary milestone, I grant you, but it's a cool one to have because that means we've been doing this for a while. So anyway, my name is Brad. I'm joined as always by my dear friend, co-conspirator, partner in crime, Austin Loop. Austin, how you doing? I'm doing really good. Doing really well. I'm, I'm awake. I'm awake. I'm alive. Now I know I'm what awake. I believe inside. I'm a little skillet action for you to start your day. Episode number 96. We are in the middle of 1 Timothy chapter 4. We are going to jump back in where we left off last week at verse 6. If you're hearing this, you're hearing this on April... Well, this show episode will be released on April the... 13th. We are recording this episode on April the 1st. Man, so we're actually ahead of We are going to be ahead of schedule for a little schedule. bit, and we're doing so, as I stated last week, or 15 minutes ago in real time, as I stated last week, we are preparing for the arrival of Baby Loop number 5. Oh, yeah. We are very excited about that. I cannot wait to meet him or her and, and to find out what name they've picked out. It might be Pete or Bob or Phil, because all the other ones have been unique and awesome. Or Dennis. Or Dennis. <laughs> But I'm excited for for that. So if you're hearing this on the 13th, if you're listening to it that this the week of the 13th, just know we are not going to go into any other like little current event things because the news will be old by the time you get to us. Uh, we talked about the Nashville shooting last week and just the devastation there. Touched on that for a few minutes and called to pray, called for action when it comes to prayer and 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 pouring into the lives of those who were affected by that. And we still encourage you to do so. We might have another member of the Rooted in Logos family by the time you hear this. We, we don't really know for sure when he or she is going to make an appearance, but it might have happened by the time you hear this. It might not. We, we don't really know. So it's kind of a it's cool, true. like, we're coming to you from the past. And so, But yeah, so we decided to record a couple episodes yep. at once just to kind of get us ahead in case we do need to take a week or two off in in celebration and just kind of well, getting things together. This also together, helps me because right? I'm, I'm also preparing for Passover or when you heard this, I'm I've prepared for Passover. It will have already happened. It would have happened. Actually, when you hear this episode, I'll be in Chicago for training. So oh, that's right. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, but no. So we're we're excited to dive into this and get back into First Timothy chapter four. So we left off with verse six. We're going to start verse six and uh, get through maybe the full rest of the chapter. Probably not because that's not how we do things. <laughs> we like to talk a lot. So we might get through it. We might not, but we're going to dive into verse six. Uh, let's just read first Timothy four, starting in verse one, yep. read all the way through it. And we'll jump into verse six and kind of go verse by verse. Austin, you want to take it away? Now the spirit expressly says that in later times, some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared, who forbid marriage and require abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving. For it is made holy by the word of God in prayer. If you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ, being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. Have nothing to do with irreverent silly myths, rather train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. For to this end we toil and strive, because we have our hope set on the living God, who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. Command and teach these things. 
Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Do not neglect the gift you have, which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Practice these things, immerse yourself in them, so that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by so doing, you will save both yourself and your hearers. This is the word of God. 1 Timothy chapter 4, let's go back into verse 6. If you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. So what is he talking about here, Austin? What What is Paul driving at when he's talking to Timothy? Because this, more than anything else in this chapter, I think, this letter is obviously written to Timothy. And this feels very Timothy-specific, though. Oh, yeah. These next few verses that we're about to hit feels very like focused in on Timothy and less about like how the church is to act and the conduct of the church. He's talking directly to Timothy in this moment. So what are we talking about here? If you put these things before the brothers, what what are these things? Yeah, so literally just what we've been reading. Exactly. Literally ver- chapters 1 through the beginning of chapter Let's four. not overcomplicate this. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, and it's cool. So uh, I'm, I'm going to read this version instead of ESV. It says... If thou put the brethren in remembrance of these things, thou shalt be a good minister of Jesus Christ. So minister or servant. The the translation there is diakonos or deacon. He, he is telling Timothy, you shall be a good deacon or a good servant, a good minister, if you put these things before the brethren to remember them, as in present them to these people. The, present them to the church so that they can remember them, so that they can learn and then live, yeah. so that once they are remembering these things, you are going to be a good minister if you do these. Yeah. So it's like, yes, Paul is giving this to Timothy. But again, the awesomeness of God, of he's given this to us, to every minister out there, to the deacons, to the pastors. God is telling us through Paul to Timothy, to us, that we are supposed to be bringing this to the church. Yeah. This is important stuff. It is very stuff. important, yeah. And not only is it important, he he goes into, and we're going to continue as we go through this, it's all about good doctrine. Yes. It is all about making sure you are teaching the things of God. You're not twisting the scripture to meet your needs or to meet your desires or, your, or, or whatever, or the whims. It's not... I keep saying this over and over again. It's not about the warm fuzzies. It is about teaching the word of God and and what he says and how we are to live in light of what he says. It's so important. I mean, he uses the term good doctrine in verse six. You will be a good servant of Christ Jesus being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. Mm -hmm. But I want to go back real quick. Being trained. Yes. Let's look at that for just a second. I think I don't necessarily think you have to go to Bible college proper to be trained in good doctrine. Yeah. You need to just have good... You need to be sitting under teachings of people who have good doctrine. You need to be studying the word yourself. You need to do what we've talked about when we started this podcast. You need to know what you believe and why you believe it. And being able to convey it And convey it effectively. Teach it effectively. Teach it in a way that is faithful to the gospel, faithful to scripture. And you need to be trained. So this is not... Paul is not talking about someone who's inexperienced. He's not putting forth a new Christian into this role. He's yeah. not putting forth someone who is still on the milk of the faith. We, we 
use this analogy a lot. Paul uses the analogy, but we use it a lot. We bring it up a lot because it's so true. Right. He is talking about someone who is strong in their faith, who has experienced their faith in a way that is real, in a way that is vibrant, and they they know the word. Yeah. They know what they're doing. They're not bringing in someone who is fresh off the boat, so to speak. Right, yeah. The direct translation here for trained is nourished. So this other translation, it says, nourished up in the words of faith and of good doctrine, whereunto thou hast attained. Now, knowing what we know of Timothy, he was raised by his his mother and his grandmother. And literally, he grew up being nourished by the word of God. Now, the word of God being the Old Testament. So he grew up with uh, the Torah. He grew up with the writings of the major and minor prophets, the Psalms and the Proverbs. And so literally he was nourished by the word of God as he grew. And then as a very young man, so, you know, teens, being able to be introduced by Paul, then he came under Paul and he was nourished under Paul. Yeah. And like, yeah, what Brad said, you don't have to go to seminary to do this. Uh, I mean, not, that, not that it's a bad thing, not that it's depending bad thing. on where you go. Right. <laughs> but that's our plan for our children. We are nourishing them as they grow in the word of God so that when they get older, they're able to go back and say, I was nourished in the word of God. I know the word of God because my parents steeped me in the word of God. And and I, I think that's what Paul's talking about. He's re- also referring back to just the way Timothy was raised. Right. Just our theology, it's, it's a God thing. God set Timothy apart. God gave Timothy to his mother, gave his mother to his grandmother, just set everything up so that Timothy would be the man he was. So that when Paul came, when he got a hold of Timothy, he could use him the way that God has meant him to be used. And so that literally when Paul is writing Timothy, we have this. We have this thousands of years later that we use as the guidelines and template, or as we should be using it, in our churches. We go back to the qualifications of deacons and elders for the pastors. We are supposed to be using these in our churches. And it is so important, and it's been lost. It's been lost. So being trained in the words of the faith and of good doctrine that you have followed, and, and, and we've talked about that. Again, it's, it's you are teaching things that are faithful to Scripture. You are not twisting the Scriptures. You are not purposefully manipulating the words or manipulating the thoughts to make you feel good, to make others feel good. You are preaching the gospel. And that can be a tough thing to do. It can be thing you're going to say things that people don't want to hear. We don't we don't want to be convicted of our sin. We don't want to be told we are living incorrectly. We want to affirm our own thoughts and we want to affirm right. our own actions, right? We want to justify those in some way, shape, or form. Yeah. And there are actions and things that we do and say as sinful human beings that cannot be justified based on scripture. Yeah. And no matter how you cut it, and if you are trying to do so, you're trying to justify it. I mean, this example gets used constantly, but the example of homosexuality, it's because it's so prevalent right now as far as that agenda being pushed. Yeah. In our churches, it's being pushed. It's being pushed to say we need to be accepting. Be accepting. It's it's not about tolerance. The word tolerance has changed meaning. Right. The word tolerance used to mean you live and let live, and you understand that people have different values than you, and 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 you get along with the people who have different values than you. That version of tolerance I'm okay with because it's yeah we are to get along with those around us. We're not to be these hateful and and just nasty people especially as christians we're supposed to be loving and, and absolutely but we're also to preach the truth right and we're supposed to uh, 
those people that were around are supposed to know what we believe, and they're supposed to understand that our belief systems are different. Mm-hmm. We can still get along, for the most part. We should still be able to get along. On our part, we need to do what we can to still get along with them. Yeah. However, we don't accept their lifestyle as something that is okay in the eyes of God. Right. But also, keeping in mind that our job is not to change them. Our job is to be a witness and be a light to them, and God does the changing. Right. God does the convicting. So there's that version of tolerance that is the right version of tolerance. But what tolerance is turned into now is not only do you have to get along with them, you have to affirm their behavior and affirm their lifestyle. It's accepting. It's not, yeah. It's accepting that lifestyle as being okay. And accepting their sin as being something they don't need to change. That's not tolerant. That's what Paul's fighting against here. Good doctrine. Doctrine that says we are A, in need of a savior. We need to change. We need to live in a way that is worthy of the calling that we've been called to. Right. Which is Christ. Right. Live in a manner worthy of Christ. And yes, God's job is to change the heart. Our job is to point them to that. Present the truth. And present the truth. And to do it in love, do it in gentleness, do it in kindness. But to present the truth. Yeah. In my life, I know people who are homosexuals. We get along just fine. I would say on the surface level of, of this word, not the deepness of this word, but the surface level is we are friends. We are we are cool. Yeah. They also understand that I believe that the biblical definition of marriage and the biblical foundation of the family is a husband and a wife. They They know I believe that. They understand that our lifestyles don't necessarily match, and that's why it is a surface-level friendship and not a deep friendship. But they know that. Yeah. And I pray that God will open their eyes and that they will see that this is not what God had um, God had intended for you, and that they will come to salvation. That's not my job as far as them being saved and them becoming a believer and changing their lifestyle. That's God's job. My job is to be a light to them yeah. and to show them, hey, this is what I believe. We can get along, but... There's a disconnect still. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is. I don't believe what you were doing is right, but I, I still love you. I still love you. There, that that yeah. does not change. Yeah, uh, God still loves you. Absolutely, but, God uh, does love you, one hundred percent. He, yeah. it, it's it's we're going to the extreme, and that's what Paul's getting at with this good doctrine. We need to make sure that we keep our doctrine firmly planted and rooted in Scripture, and not give in to the cultural whims that we have going on right now. Right. Speak well, and this the is the doctrine that you have followed, as in Timothy has been following good doctrine. He he's obedient. He is listening and he is obeying. So that that's definitely another thing. The presupposition of we we need to be following these things. So verse seven: Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. I'm going to read this other one. It's I like this one better. It says. But refuse profane and old wives' fables, like and that. exercise thyself rather unto godliness. I like that. Wives' fables. Wives' fables. Yeah. Old wives' tales. Yep. Well, and what's the point? The point is, what do old women do? And now this is more pre- pretense of unbelieving women. Hopefully this is more unbelieving women. When they gather together, it's gossip. But then that gossip takes a turn to, I mean, literally what it says, wives, wives fables. Wives they, yeah. they start incorporating untruths, and then it becomes a game of telephone, and then you have this thing that has nothing to do with the original context. And so it becomes a fable. It becomes a story that is not true. And what is 
Paul telling Timothy to do? He is saying, refuse this. Refuse profane and old wives' fables, <laughs> or as the ESV would say, have nothing to do with it. How about one of them that says, the old wives tell that the swing of your wedding ring will determine your baby's gender. Ooh. Sitting too close to the t- TV screen will make you go blind. I believe in that one, though. <laughs> <laughs> White wine will remove a wet red wine stain. Eating chocolate causes acne. Cracking your knuckles causes arthritis. <laughs> Sorry. I just went down a little rabbit hole of old wives' tales. That's funny. But yeah, no, in I like the, the silly myths. I, I kind of like that translation as well, just because it, it kind of gives plays into some of the absurdity of the things that they were believing. Yeah. I think, you know, you go back in the context of when this was written, written during the Roman time and the Greek time. The Hellenists. So you, the yeah, Hellenist, he, Hellenist yeah. and the hedonistic world. So you have the Greek gods and the Roman gods at very prevalent in this culture. Oh, yeah. and And some of the silliness behind those Greek myths. And, and yeah. You know the the Cyclopses and Medusa and all this these myths and goddess and, go- and goddesses that they believed in, right? And and that's what he's kind of fighting here as well. That right. some of the just the goofy, silly beliefs that the Greeks and the Romans are ascribing to, right? And th- this has been a thing for me too. Of you know, I grew up, I thoroughly enjoyed Greek mythology. I loved it, and I really liked the transition from Greek mythology to Roman mythology. How the Greek gods transitioned when the Romans came in and took yeah. over the Greeks. <laughs> and so like Zeus then became Jupiter. Poseidon became Neptune. Yeah. And they turned into more of this this warrior hardened god, whatever. Some of my favorite books growing up were the Rick Rorden Heroes of Olympus. This says a lot about you, by the way. I know, way. right? Growing up you're reading Heroes of Olympus. Oh okay. wait, no, is were these kids' books or were these like the because uh, uh, I initially when you said that I'm thinking he's gonna say the Odyssey. He's going to say the Iliad. <laughs> I did. I read those growing up. I, I love those too. Uh. But I guess not growing up, growing up. <laughs> I, I, I guess it was my teenage years yeah. of um, reading, you know, Percy Jackson okay. and stuff so like that. that. And so then the later installment. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. But now it's like, I, I can't. I can't read those anymore. Not, not so much the Iliad and the Odyssey because that has historical aspects course, too. Yeah. But again, what was the point of the myths? Well, the myths had aspects of truth. It was incorporating false story into truth. So you, we have we have this difference between mythology being here is our religion and we're incorporating all these stories to bolster our religion and so on and so forth versus you have Lord of the Rings. Um, I, I do find a, a major distinction between those. And so I, I had to take a, a big step back from Greek mythology. I, I know a lot about it and... I've spent a lot of time in it, but I'm like, th- th- this is it for me. Do not, don't have anything to do with these myths, the, this mythology, things that, a- a- as it goes f- further, for while bodily training is of a value, godliness is of value in every way, and rather train yourself in godliness. And so that was something that convicted me. So I, I have not read stuff like that in a while, not because I think it's evil or anything, but just for me, I'm like, I was putting way too much time into it and I needed to put more time into scripture. So that was something I had to do, but that's what they are. They're silly. They're silly myths. They're cool. Yeah. But it's silly. And it's, you know, they're silly, but man, back in those days, people believed them. They did. It was rampant. That was their religion. That is what they ascribed to. And that is who they tried to please was their, their mythological gods. Oh yeah. And that, that was absolutely, something that Paul was combating here. And, that, and so that's what he's doing here is he's saying, Hey, 
don't give into these. Don't right. don't dive into this and and start letting that infiltrate your doctrine and infiltrate right. your belief system, <clears throat> because that that's a lot of what was happening too in this culture was they were pulling things from different religions, different faiths, and kind of throwing it into the gospel and into yes. into their teachings. And that's not good either. You 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 need to take you need to teach scripture and only scripture and yeah. teach the Bible and only the Bible and not pull in all these other aspects of different religions because it was shaping their theology. It was shaping their theology, and that's we see that today, right? There, yep. people are trying to pull in these different things from different places and trying yep. to make it this one path. You know, um, even in even in the Christian church, you see that with the denominations a, a yeah. little bit, where yeah. they some denominations differ on. Bigger things, right? Mm-hmm. They 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 differ on salvation issues, and yep. some of them don't. And and I think the ones that don't, I think there are times where they're trying to pull in different aspects of different areas of life yep. that don't need to be added to the gospel or added to the scripture, or added to the teachings. Yeah, I think a good, good example of back then would be so you you had again truth mixed with f- silly myths. Uh, you had people like Achilles. You had people like Odysseus. Uh, Achilles, w- w- historically we know he, he existed, historically we know how he died, <laughs> but the the fables, the wives' fables that came from that of, turned out, oh, actually Achilles was a demigod, and he was the son of, uh, I think it was Zeus, could have been someone else, Hermes, or anyway, um, but then he was dipped into the river Styx and then by his mother, and the only thing that was uncovered by the river Styx was his heel, and so when the arrow hit his heel and killed him, that's because that was his only weak spot in his body, and so on and so forth. And so it's taking a a real-life story of there was a man named Achilles, and he was shot in his heel, and therefore that's where we get Achilles' heel. Right. And But then they added all this extra stuff. You have the tale of Odysseus, and it was him who invented the Trojan horse, it was his idea, and the reason why they were able to finally take over Troy over like a seven to ten year siege, and then the story of him getting back home, just of all the the different tales that he had to go through, and just all this extra added stuff. Um, then you have Hercules, because then it, it infects people's theology in to where they're like, okay, so Jesus is the son of God, so that means he's a demigod. Well, no. Yes, he's the son of God, but he is God right. and the Trinity. And that's where you had this separation of, well, no, he's the son of God, so therefore he's like our gods. It's like, no, no, he's not. And that's that's how it would happen. And like Brad said, we have those issues today. People yeah. grasp onto something and then they start adding in wives' fables, these silly myths yeah. of our, our day and age. And it starts affecting their theology. Exactly. I mean, the end of verse 7, rather train yourself for godliness. We talked about training and, and talked about being able to know what you believe, why you believe it, and practice it. Not just have the head knowledge, have the action and the fruit that goes along with it yeah. as well. Verse 8, kind of playing off of, of this idea of training. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, mm. as it holds promise for the present life and for life to come. You know, oddly enough, my mind goes a little bit to like the the Greek uh, a- athleticism and the Greek yes. athlete athletic events and the Olympics and the Olympiad and that kind of mentality. I'm not sure. I'm not a historian. I don't. I'm not really good at history. I don't really remember a lot of it. I'm not sure when that whole thing started with the Greeks and, yep. and their athletic endeavors. 
Yeah. But maybe it was happening during this time. It definitely would. It definitely would have been. Okay. Well, yeah. They so were, they were doing it before Rome took over. Okay. So yeah. yeah so you have the, the, this Greek um, ideology of, of having being physically fit and being. Yep. And so Paul admits that okay, yeah, training your body is a good thing. There's nothing wrong with that. And and you know, obviously we we agree with that too. Being in good shape is a good thing. It's, yep. it's a great thing to be. Well, Not getting winded walking up the stairs is wonderful. It's also I, good for your health. I believe we. that's also where we get the word for gymnasium. The Greek for the, the training and so forth is where we get the word gymnasium. Gotcha. Is, so, yeah, they would meet together in a place, kind of like a, a gym, and the, they would exercise. Granted, this right. was also the time where they'd wrestle naked. Yeah. That's how they did it. And... Granted, this also gets into other things of this is where you would have the abominations going on between older men and younger right, men. Right, 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 right. And kind of a side tangent. <laughs> but, but yeah, yeah, it is of value. But I like how he says of some value. Some value. Yeah. Because that what, what happens to us, no matter if we are in the best shape of our lives for, for years and we're constantly working out, what happens to us eventually? We die. Like that's coming for everybody, and then that's going to happen. So yeah, so working out and, and training your body is a good thing. It has benefit for this life and this life alone. Yeah, training yourself in godliness, training yourself in doctrine, knowing knowing what you believe, knowing why you believe it, has value for now, and has value for eternity. Yeah, and that that is what Paul's driving at here. I love I love that that line that verse is 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 really cool, uh, especially. You know, I could twist it. I could say, well, I don't like exercising, but I love reading the Bible. So that right there, that it's verse right important. there is more important. Right. But no, honestly, like it's, I say that tongue in cheek, of course, but it is, it is so important to know your Bible and know your yeah. doctrine and know, <clears throat> know your beliefs and study and, and just dive into it. And and it does, it has value for the life to come. And Paul says, this saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. Yes. Well, and I love this aspect. So training is of some, some value. So okay, say you're you're a hardcore. You are you are training. You know what happens when you take a week off? It's substantial. Yeah. If you take a month off, you have lost your gains. Like you've lost muscle mass if you've taken a month off. What happens if you take a month off from reading scripture? Yes, it's detrimental to your life, but you don't lose it. Right. That is what he's talking about. He's talking about uh, godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. Whatever you gain from scripture, whatever you gain from your growth in relationship with Jesus Christ, you don't lose it. It sticks with you. It sticks with you. You could take that month off and yes, you you (laughs) you can see how that will affect your relationships and your, your marriage. But you will not lose that. It's still there. Train up a child in the way it should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. it. Yes. It stays with you. Yeah. It is something that you're going to, you know, is, is going to be beneficial to you for the rest of your life. And so when things happen and when when life comes at you and, and life comes at you fast, you will still have something to hold on to. Even oh, yeah. even, even when you're struggling, even when you're going through a season of, of hurt and, and toughness, um, you're going to be all right. So, yeah, verse 9, just what... Brad read, the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. Th- this is not going ahead. He He's not talking about verses 10 and so on and so forth. He's referring back to what we just read. Right. What, what? It's that godliness is of value in every way. And growing and strengthening in this aspect is, is very important. So this is 
the saying that is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. So then verse 10, For to this end we toil and strive, because we have our hope set on the living God, who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. Now this is a good one. It's good. It's, It's a tough one. Yep. So, to this end we toil and strive. One, he even Paul is saying we toil and we strive to continue in our growing in relationship with Christ and growing in the Word. Just just what we've read in verse eight. But then then we get into this this next part because we have our hope set on the living God who is the Savior of all people, especially those who believe. So, all right, Brad, what do you think this means? <laughs> Man. <laughs> Do you think this is talking about all people, as in everybody from the beginning of time to the end of time universalism? Or is he talking about a certain set of people? So it's definitely not universalism, because if you take this one verse and use it to mean universalism, you are discounting pretty much the rest of Scripture. Yeah. Right? You're basically saying all the other passages that reject universalism are irrelevant because of this one verse. And we've talked about this in our apologetics. When we talk about hermeneutics, when we talk about studying Scripture, Scripture interprets Scripture. And so when you come across a passage that is tough to to chew on, you go back to the rest of Scripture, and you are able to hopefully shed some light and some clarity here. So no, it is not a scenario of universalism. I look at this, kind of what I alluded to last week in our last episode, I look at this as a common grace type type of, of, of wordage and, and of, of meaning where we are, as Jonathan Edwards says, we those who are not in Christ, those who are not believers, are hanging by a thread. They, they are dangling over an eternity without Christ, without God, an eternity in hell of, of eternal punishment, eternal condemnation. They are dangling over that pit daily. They are milliseconds away from it. And it's by that common grace, the Savior of all people, that they are not thrown into hell like that. Right. Immediately. Right. Immediately. And that's what I look at when I look at this verse. I I think that's the image that comes to mind is this common grace, this idea that you are not struck down every time, the the moment you sin. Yeah. It is for, he saves everyone that punishment for now. Right. So before I read... Uh, Matthew Henry's commentary on it. I want to. I want to propose the dilemma of God, who is the Savior of all people. If He is the Savior of all people, meaning Christ died on the cross for all people, as in literally everybody, everyone to ever exist. Talking about universalism, but knowing what we know through Scripture, that there are a lot of people that are not in heaven. There are a lot of people that will not go to heaven. So we have this dilemma of if he is the savior of all people, that means he failed. That means Jesus, God, the son of God, his death on the cross failed. That's heretical. That's, yeah. that's, that's not okay. Because he didn't. He didn't fail. What he set out to do, he accomplished. He fulfilled, and he did exactly what he was going to do. And he is going to do exactly what he is going to do. So therefore, th- this can't mean he is the savior of all people. It, it can't. So Matthew Henry puts it in this way. All our labors and losses in the service of God and work of religion will be abundantly recompensed. 
though we lose for Christ, we shall not lose by him. In dependence of these promises, the apostle and his brethren labored without wearying and suffered without fainting. They trusted in the living God, who is the preserver of all men in respect to their lives and temporal concerns, and who will take especial care of believers interested in his covenant blessings. If he be thus the Savior of all men, we may hence infer that much more he will be the rewarder of those who seek and serve him. If he has such good will for all his creatures, much more will he provide well for those whom he has made new creatures who are born again. So just what Brad was talking about of he takes care of his creation. Yeah. E- even if they're not believers. I mean, literally look at what Christ says about the sparrow. You know, talking about the birds of the air. God provides for them. God gives them their daily bread. He gives them what they're going to eat that day. And if for the birds, how much more for you? How much more for a human being? The common grace. God still provides for humanity, even in their depravity and those who utterly hate and despise him. They are still his creation. They are still made in the image of God and God is still taking care of them. And although, like Brad said, we firmly believe we deserve death right now. Mm-hmm my own mind trying to comprehend, okay, God, one, why did you even create us if you knew we were going to do this? I mean, you knew it, but yet you still created us. And then on the other side of, okay, you knew it, you created us anyway, and then Adam and Eve sinned, why didn't you just demolish them right then and there? Right then and there, yeah. And he said, the day you eat this, you shall surely die. Well, there's his grace in that. They literally did not die right then and there as soon as their lips touched the apple. Or taking what Jesus says, as soon as it entered their mind, they sinned. And so, why didn't they die then? Well, because of the grace of God. And he allowed them to live a long life, 900 years on earth, seeing their children, great-grandchildren, great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-grandchildren. So this is where we get common grace. This is where we get how the rain falls on the just as the unjust. It is because God is still taking care of his creation. Despite our best efforts to thwart his his plans. Exactly. (laughs) So then we get to that, especially of those who believe. And I love how Matthew Henry put it of, take care of believers interested in covenant blessings. So yes, the the rain will fall on the unjust as the just, but God is taking special care of the just. And again, that is just through his own grace and mercy. Believing what we believe of, we don't even deserve that. But it is only because of his son, Jesus, that we're getting this. So that is awesome. Verse 11. Command and teach these things. Let no one despise you for your, for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech and conduct in love and faith and in purity. Command and teach these things. I mean, I think that's pretty self-explanatory. Is <laughs> It's its own verse. It's its own verse. Just teach and, and, and command what the Bible teaches and commands and what Paul is talking to Timothy about. Throughout the, throughout the letters. Well, it, it goes to show just how important it is. He's saying command them. Yeah. As in, this is not up for debate. This is not a discussion. You have to do them. It goes back to when he lists out the qualifications. You must. You must do these things. You are commanded. So verse 12, let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. So, okay, Getting some context, 
despising for your youth. I, this, I, I think this is one that is so, so misused, um, especially so in the church, um, using for teenagers, people saying, oh, don't let you know the rest of them despise you for your youth. It's like, well, yes, that's true. <laughs> but in context of historical accuracy, Timothy would probably be in his 30s by now. When he was first brought on the scene with Paul, he would have been like teenager age. He, he would have been within that like 12 to 15 year your range. When Paul was at the stoning of Stephen, it said they laid the feet at a young man. So Paul would have more than likely been in within his 20s. Right. So you had to be age 30 to be considered a rabbi. And he was not considered a rabbi yet then, but yet he was still on the Sanhedrin to be able to cast his vote. So he would have had to be younger than 30. Right. And then we just look at Time span wise, after Christ died in the span of the years or so on and so forth, but Timothy at this time should have been in his 30s. So he would have been able to be at that rabbi age, but they still considered him to be a young man. Why? Because he is considered a minister. He is coming in, he is appointing elders. He is looking at these older men, like much, much older men, and saying, you're going to fulfill this position. So he's saying, let no one despise you for your youth. As in, people are going to despise you for this. Yeah. Looking at the, the, the Jews in their culture and tradition, if you're considered an elder, it's because you are elderly, <laughs> very elderly. You are old, 70s, 80s, so on and so forth. So for this 30-year-old man to come and be talking to these 80-year-old men, there, there's a reason why Paul also lays out later about if you're going to confront an older man, do not rebuke them. Address them as you would your father. Right. So yeah, there there are things you have to go through for that. And I, and I do think too, you, you look at let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech and conduct and love and faith and purity. You can absolutely apply that to young people. Yes. Set an example as a. I mean, there there are people who younger than me with faith that I look at. I'm like, wow. That that is impressive faith. Like that is that is someone who is living out their beliefs, living out their theology, and and they are their 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 faith is is, is impressive. Yeah. And what what Austin isn't saying is that God can't use teenagers. Not at all. That's not what he's saying at all. Obviously, yeah. right? And and so we just want to put this verse in proper context, in right. proper perspective, because context is key. We need to know what we're talking about. And so this verse can get twisted, but I I do think. With this verse in particular, unlike your I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, who is right. taken wildly out of context, I do think this verse, when used when talking about youth, it is 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 valid because right. we have a tendency to look down on those younger than us. We have a tendency to look down on people who are young, who are saying things that are in our minds, well that you're too young to talk like that, or you're too young to think right. like that. No, no. God can use who God wants to use, and mm-hmm. God can use a child. He can use a teenager. He can use someone who is young. Yeah, absolutely. Do not reject truth just because it comes from someone who is young. Right. Period. Now, just like you do with anybody, you take what they're saying and you back it up with scripture. Oh yeah. And if it backs up with scripture, if it matches and it lines up, don't look at them and say, "Oh, you're too young. You can't be talking to me like that." Right. Don't do that. Right. You absolutely, you, if you are an example in speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity, and you're 15, 16, 17 years old, God is using you. Oh, yeah. Be that example. That is a, a heavy weight 
to bear. That God is presenting the younger age to do this. He's saying, so let no one despise you for your youth, but here is how you're going to do it. Here is how they're not going to despise you. You're going to have to be an example in speech, literally in your conversation to other people, being seasoned with salt and light, not having a perverse tongue. Uh, You're going to, your conduct is going to be excellent in, according to scripture, uh, in love and faith and in purity. Purity being sexual purity. Um, you're, You're going to be pure all the way to marriage. And for no one to despise you of your youth, you have to do these things. Yeah, and and to, if you don't follow these things, not that it's okay that they despise you. Anyway, that's not of that's course. not okay on their yeah. part either. But they're going to have grounds to do so. And they yeah, you know, if you are being an example, they'll see it and they'll respect it and they will they will they'll listen. I mean, and if, if they if, don't, they're sinning and that's between them and God. Yeah, exactly. So absolutely like in context, Timothy is probably in his 30s, but for us today, those of you who are younger, it's it. I mean, Austin's not thirty yet, yep. right? Like he's not. He's in his twenties still. Yep. Um, in my mind, I am too. I identify as twenty-seven. <laughs> uh, but yeah, no. So young people can do great things for God. Yep. Period. That that is that is there. There's president for that, but I, it has to fall in line. I don't know why they'd take that from anything I've said, but no, they won't. Anyway, no, they wouldn't. Anyway, they I would not. No, I'm just making sure we understand that, yes, Timothy's in his 30s, probably right. in this scenario. We're not discounting right. God taking... This is application. It's application, exactly. Yeah, so, sorry. I wasn't trying to say... No, no, no. ...being no, unclear. Um, you know how people twist things. Anyway. <laughs> until then. <laughs> Verse 13, until then... Nope. Verse 13, until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, exhortation, and teaching. Mm, I love this verse. Yeah. I love this verse. So, one, it is telling Timothy... I, I, I fully intend to come. Like, I, I'm going to come to Ephesus. I'm going to come meet you and and talk with the people at, at Ephesus. Um, this wasn't a, I might come if I feel up to it. It's like, no, Paul fully intended to get there. I, we don't know if he did. Right. Um, we, we just don't know. But he, he says, this is what you're supposed to be doing. Devote yourself. Devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture. That's out loud. That's, yeah, absolutely. That's going to the the synagogue. That's getting the scroll, and that's reading out loud. I mean, Jesus did that. He says, "Devote yourself to this. Read the word of God out loud to other people, to yourself." Um, I, I've talked talked about this before. The difference between reading in your mind versus reading out loud. When you're reading in your mind, you, you're reading and you're comprehending. Comprehending versus when you're reading out loud. You're reading, you're comprehending in your mind, but now it's out loud, and now, what's the word? It's sinking in. It's sinking in, yeah, yeah. You're, you're reading it out loud, and it's now you're hearing the Word of God. You're not just reading the Word of God, you're hearing it. And so there, there's more things going on there that are, are so good. To exhortation and to teaching. Uh, we've talked about exhortation. When you exhort someone, you're not just belittling them, you're not going to them with their faults. You're not just going to them with sins. Exhortation is when you're going to someone and you're encouraging them Mm -hmm. to do the hard thing. Right. You're not just encouraging them saying, man, you're so good at this. And you know, you're really good at this. You're, you're a great singer. Maybe you should do more of this. It's like, that's not really exhortation. That's encouragement. Sure. But exhortation is when you're going to them and saying, Hey, 
you need to do this. Based on scripture, this is what we need to do. This, yeah, and, <laughs> and you're encouraging them yeah. to do the hard thing. Yeah, and to teaching, mm-hmm. to, to which I think is kind of what we like to focus on a lot, Austin and I, where we, we do want to teach the scriptures. We want to we want to talk through them. We want to learn, and we want to yeah. be able to impart knowledge and, and impart our our theology and, and what we believe the Bible has to say about everything. Yeah. And we want to teach the scripture. And so it is, it's devoting yourself to these things because that's what Timothy was called to do. Yeah. Timothy was called to be a teacher. Yes. Period. Well, and we get into literally why. Uh, verse 14, <laughs> do not neglect the gift you have, which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Now, this gets into some sticky stuff. Before we get into the sticky stuff, one, again, teaching, exhortation, reading of Scripture. As we see through Scripture, Timothy's spiritual gifts were exhortation and teaching. Yeah. Probably administration, too, being able to go to these people and say, I'm appointing elders. I'm, I'm going to organize you guys. So there's administration there. But Paul is telling him not to neglect the gift you have. But then we get into, okay... Why does he have those gifts and who gave them his gifts? Well, it says, given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. So we get this image of Timothy and a council of elders around him, probably Paul there as well, laying their hands on Timothy and prophesying over him as, okay, not prophecy the way that it's supposed to be, but prophecy as we see it today when someone speaks prophecy over someone and saying, oh, Timothy, God has spoken to me and you are going to be a teacher. You are right. you're going to go out and you're going to teach the word of God and you're going to... Exhortation. Exhortation is also going to be your gift. It's like, no, that, that, that's not what happens. Those are spiritual gifts that God gives you when, when you become a believer. And when... This happens when elders are laying their hands on you, which is biblical. That's supposed to happen, um, especially for people going out into the world to become a pastor or a missionary. A missionary. Or, or, yeah. Well, that happened with our um, Simon. Um, the yeah. the elders put their hands on him. They prayed over him. Um, you know, finishing up through Bible school and and being basically ordained. Not a, he's ordained. Yeah. But I went. Uh, yeah, sure. He's the youth pastor, but more so, he's in a, the assistant pastor at the church. Right. So that was awesome. That's what they're supposed to be doing. And again, not that they're giving him these gifts because God gave him the gifts, but they're realizing the gifts out loud. That's exactly it. They're recognizing the gifts that he has and they are encouraging him and laying hands on him to perform those gifts and to to use those gifts yeah. to further the kingdom and to further the church and yeah. to benefit those who he teaches and those who he uh, exhorts and those who he, you know, teaching, imparts his yeah. knowledge to. Yeah. For sure. Well, and it's cool because I, this is so lost within the church of being under these adults, being under these elders, elders, not just other people within the church, but these elders that are able to look at you that have seen you grow and be like, I know what your gift is. Why? Because I'm, I'm steeped in scripture. I have a good relationship with Christ. I'm able to see your spiritual gifts. Right. And for the elder to lay his hand on you and prophesy, it's not because God's imparting this revelation <laughs> upon him. It's because God has opened his eyes 
to be able to see this young man grow. Yeah. And he's able to put his hand and on him. see those gifts. Yeah, yeah. And say, I'm praying over you in the name of Jesus, and you're going to do great things because God has picked right. you. Right. And these are the things that God has given you. And that is such a cool thing for a young man to not say he's not, yes, he's trained. Yes, we know that of Timothy. But say he doesn't quite know his spiritual gifts yet, which I, this is not scriptural. I, I'm This is my own opinion right, here right, right. based on scripture. But for for a young man who does not quite know what his spiritual gift is yet, to have older men to come to him and all of them in unison say, We've seen you grow. This is your spiritual gift. Now hone it. Hone it. Yeah. Verse fifteen. We're getting close to the end of First Timothy four. Right. Only two episodes in 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 getting a full chapter, and I like that. that that's yeah. not normal for us. I yeah. like this. Uh, verse fifteen. Though practice these things, immerse yourself in them, so that all may see your progress. I mean, it. It's he's reiterating a lot of the same ideas here. Immerse yourself. Devote yourself. Mm-hmm. He is saying, this is of utmost importance. This is what you need to be consumed by. Be consumed mm-hmm. by the teaching, by the exhortation. Be consumed by scripture. He is making sure Timothy realizes the importance of the calling that he has and not to take this calling lightly. Yeah. You look at pastors, you look at teachers, and, and you don't want your pastor, you don't want your elders to look at their position within the church and look at their spiritual gifts and use them flippantly. You, you want them to take the Bible seriously. Take their teaching seriously. Because teachers are held to a higher standard in the eyes of God. Oh, yeah. They are. And that, that's biblical. You are held to a higher standard when you are teaching the Word of God. Because your teachings, as he says in verse 16, and we'll get to, have such an impact on yourself oh, yeah. and on your hearers, on those you hear. Yeah. Again, it's how these cult leaders come to power because they're good at communicating so it doesn't you, you can be good at communicating i think you need to be good at communicating to be a pastor to be a teacher you need to be teaching the right stuff yeah because a good charismatic leader can lead people to unthinkable places oh yeah you look at jonestown right where a charismatic jim jones under the guise of being a pastor of being a man of god was able to convince hundreds of people to commit suicide oh yeah for him that is power. That's, yeah, that's messed That's up. powerful. And that's why what Paul is kind of alluding to here is like, you have a powerful way of communicating inside you. God has given you this gift. You need to make sure that you're using it in a proper way. You're devoting yourself to scripture and teaching, and you're immersing yourself. Keep close watch on yourself. Verse 16. Keep close watch. Make sure you are staying faithful to the teachings of scripture and that you yourself are living out this faith and living out these teachings. Yeah. Keep close watch, immerse yourself, and people are going to see your progress. People are going to see the fruit. Yes. We talk about that a lot on this podcast. You will see the fruit. You will know them by their fruit. Mm-hmm. So I love the way this, this version says it. It says, verse 15, meditate upon these things. Give thyself wholly to them that thy profiting may appear to all. And then take heed unto thyself, unto the doctrine. As in the doctrine is set, the teaching mm-hmm. is set. Paul has laid it out for him. Here it is. Teach it. Not only teach it, immerse yourself in it. That doesn't mean when you're going to preach a sermon, you're doing just a few hours of study for it. Um, you are pouring yourself out. You are immersing yourself 100% wholly in the Word of God. Uh, listening to MacArthur 
um, actually listening through his sermon series through Timothy. I like it when a pastor, especially a pastor of his caliber, is able to come out publicly and say something like this of where he's like, when I preach on something and I realize I'm wrong or I, I not quite sure on something. So I dive in more. He's like for one hour of preaching, I'm doing like 20 hours of study. Yeah. And he's like, there, there have even been times where after I've given the sermon that day, after I've gone home, I go back and I'm still researching because he's like, I don't want to be wrong. Right. And if I'm wrong, I'm going to be stumbling other people. Exactly. And that's what Paul's getting at here. Yeah. And it's cool because I love what he said was he's like, there, there, he gave an example and he's like, I gave a sermon on how he believed that the Antichrist was going to be a Jew. And then he, I th- he said like one of his elders or someone came up to him afterwards. He's like, uh, you might want to dive in a little bit more to that. Yeah. And so he did. And then the next week he gave, gave a sermon saying how he believed that the Antichrist was going to be a Gentile. <laughs> and he, he's like, I, I had both of those recordings out and and I kept doing research until I decided which one I was firm 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 on. But he's like, there are there are times when I, I give a sermon and I'm going back that very day and I'm still diving into all these things because I want to I want to make sure I'm right. I want to make sure what I am presenting to the people is biblical in its truth. That's exactly right. And That's I'm like exactly right. That's it. That's exactly what Paul's getting at here. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by doing so, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Obviously, Paul is not saying you are in charge of your own salvation. What he is, I think this might be a translation issue here, where he is basically saying, you are leading these people. It's exactly what I just said about the, the idea of cult leaders and the idea of a charismatic leader can lead people to do crazy things and can lead people to do unspeakable things. And so that's what Paul is saying here. He is getting at this idea that your hearers are going to follow you and you need to be following Christ. You need to be lockstep with Scripture, lockstep with Christ. Paul says it, follow me as I follow Christ. Mm-hmm. That is what he's getting at here. It is so important that you do not lead your people down the path of sin, down the path of heresy, down the path of false doctrine, false gospel. Right. It is the number one priority of teachers and pastors. Right. So yeah, it says, for doing this, thou shalt both save thyself and them that hear thee. So this is not save as in capital S salvation save, but there, there is a proponent to this of going back to raise a child up in the way she, that they shall go and they will not depart. If you are raising them in the way they should go, not as in the way you think they should go, but they should, as in right. Scripture. Scripture has already laid out the way that a child should be raised. If you raise them that way, they won't depart. Why? We believe God is a God of means. He uses men. He uses people to fulfill his will. He uses parents to raise their children in the way they should go. Why? Because he wants that child. Right. For Timothy, if he is preaching the word of God, if he is preaching the gospel, teaching the way that he should through Scripture... He is going to save them because he's obeying. People are saved because of God, God. the grace of God, by grace alone. But, Timothy, you need to make sure what you are saying is scriptural. And you are not like literally what we just read last week above verse 1. Now the Spirit expressly says that in later times, some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons. Do not be a deceitful spirit. 
It all ties in. It all ties in together. He, Paul is making sure Timothy understands the importance of the calling that he has, the importance of using the gifts that he has, and the importance of what the message he said, the message he preaches, the message he teaches. It is of utmost importance. It is, it is something that you cannot take lightly and flippantly. It is something that you need to make sure that you are constantly diving into, constantly learning, constantly seeking God and seeking his wisdom and seeking his counsel because otherwise you're going to lead people down a terrible path. Oh, yeah. And that's what we're trying to avoid. That's what Paul is trying to avoid here. He's trying to make sure he's, he's fighting against so many teachings and, and heresies that have infiltrated the church of that time. He's fighting against them very hard. And that is what this whole chapter is, First Timothy 4, is all about making sure Timothy fights against them just as hard as Paul is and making yeah. sure Timothy is as saturated in Scripture as he can be. Well, and also, the, so going back to verse 8, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come, uh, as in godliness. Godliness is of value in every way. So if you are doing what you're supposed to, if you're teaching through Scripture the way you're supposed to, you're storing up treasures in heaven. Yeah. You are saving yourself things in heaven. Yeah. And and that that's what also he's telling us, he's telling Timothy to do. So First Timothy 4. Yeah. Thank you guys for listening. I hope this was encouraging. Please do us a favor and, and reach out to us if there's something we said that you need more clarification on or something that you, you disagree with and bring a scripture and we can discuss it with you and we'll do the same thing. Bring a scripture and we'll discuss it. We'll tell you where we got some of this stuff. And and I just I hope this is something that is encouraging to you, something that you can you know use if you're whether you're a teacher or not something you can use to dive into and understand that it's so imperative so imperative to know what you believe and why you believe it because things around us will tell us otherwise and we will be able to be easily strayed and easily swayed we don't want to be those people that are easily swayed by any doctrine that is not the gospel tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine that's right so thank you guys for listening we really appreciate it we'll be back next week with another new episode lord willing obviously and and hopefully lord willing by the time you hear this we will have a new member of the family and we we will be able to welcome him or her with open arms and very exciting stuff yeah so we will see you guys next week in the meantime stay stay rooted